Hey. Hey, hello. So, quarantine in London. Yeah, um, there's really not that much to say about it. <laughs> but you, you made it. I did make it. That was, yeah, I mean, it was really kind of amazing. Like, it was basically a foregone conclusion that I wasn't going to be making my Eurostar train when I was on the first train, but by three trains later, it was not only still gettable, it was delayed by like 30 minutes. So running and sweating and stressing no doubt it was uh, very stressful you know that's a normal deutsche bahn train journeys did you take that photo on the train actually which one invent and wander yeah i, th I think i'd actually taken that before but uh it was weirdly fitting yeah bezos is back from space i, I was thinking it was invest and wander but invest and plunder might be <laughs> the title i think you would have been looking for but <laughs> invent and flounder uh, he seems to be doing just fine, frankly. Yeah, it's the rest of us who are <laughs> floundering. Maybe invest in flounder. I don't know. He probably has some like flounder futures. Well, you know, someone's got to continue exploring space and search for even laxer labor laws. <laughs> like that was the joke on my Instagram when I posted the image. Somebody said, you know, hey, how about you stay up there? And I said, there are no tax laws on Mars. And he was like, you know, that's actually probably why he's going up there. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if the next thing was capitalism repeats itself first as satire and then as reality. Yeah, that's uh, where we're at. Meanwhile, the ocean's burning. Is it still burning? I think it's still burning. Fucking hell. It's insane. I mean, there's been a fire in Pennsylvania for, what, like 30 years now? So wouldn't be surprised if that goes on for some time as well. Siberia's on fire, too. Yeah, I mean, that, that's also <laughs> classic news. Well, someone's got to be up there looking out for number one. Yeah, totally. I mean, it must have had a nice view of, like, the rest of us incinerating ourselves. But it's like, it's the people that went with him that I understand the least, because there was, like, some other billionaire who'd, like, paid millions, tens of millions of pounds to go up there with him. Right, there was an online auction, yeah? Yeah, and, and he was like, oh, shit, I double booked, I, I have to destroy something else today. So they gave a seat to, like, some teenager... And it was like Bezos, some woman who'd been like a you know, an early pioneer in uh, aeronautics, some other person who I didn't recognize at all, and then this like kid. And it was it was like literally like the Fantastic Four or something. Only you know none of them knew each other. That press conference is one of the weirdest things I've ever. Seen. I just want to thank everybody uh, for all the workers and everyone who's ordered from Amazon. You know, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It was it was really weird. It was totally bizarre because it was like you know he's taking a bunch of like testosterone and shit, and he's got a bunch of filler in his face. But he sounds like a he sounds basically like Hulk Hogan now. It was like Hulk Hogan was thanking the Amazon workers who he's like completely obviously. Yeah labor practices or uh, no one needs to talk about them you know they're utterly brutal but yeah i mean no sense of irony and it was as i said was, if you got a cameo from hulk hogan to come in and do that it was so fucking weird at least the workers don't have to be afraid of going to take a piss break now no like they still do like there's, there's no element uh, of anything that's changed about it. like while he was in orbit people still had to worry about you know shitting into a bag or you know pissing into a bottle or whatever and they will you know till the end of their lives or when they put into the amazon mech suit so that they can be toward you know is there is the amazon mech suit thing where it shocks you if you you know if you take a less efficient pathway to the thing for the delivery like like eventually they'll just kill you and put your you know consciousness into an amazon mech suit such that that's basically like you can live forever 
doing it and they don't have to hire and train new people like that will be the future while he's like on mars you know whatever like properly abandoning the human race i mean they've clearly done that like that's that's quite clearly that's like 50 percent of billionaires 50 percent of billionaires are the new zealand billionaires and then 50 percent are the space billionaires well you know that's going to require a lot of energy and concentration what like <laughs> like living in the hell they create that's for sure I'm, I'm certain of that well you know we didn't think he could be any further removed from uh, the average human being but there he went you know he makes the effort uh, that's why he's at the top yeah i was actually just thinking it was like is he also getting into the agriculture business i'm sure they're involved in something. no i think it's just gates like there's no way amazon couldn't be involved I mean, technically, Amazon is involved because, like, all those agri companies will use Amazon Web Services for their like logistics and web hosting stuff. So, I mean, yeah, he is involved at some level. I don't know if he's directly in the like genetic engineering, Frankenfood stuff, but like, you know, Amazon's involved in it to a certain degree because they're in everything. Yeah. I was just reading that last story in Twenty Terrifying Tales. Yeah, I was actually just getting into the last bits here. It's a bunch of innovators having dinner together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And somebody told me like a week after I'd sent the proofs off that they had been in some bunker in New Zealand with some like version of these guys and they were doing the exact same thing. They were sitting around troubling over the lighting, trying to make it natural. And I was like, I, I knew they'd be doing that. I knew they'd be doing that. And it's like, of course, of course, it, you know, as I say, it's first it's satire, then it's reality. Well, why are they so fussed with the lighting? Because, you know, the idea is there's a lot of like literary references and stuff in the story but like the reason why it would obviously be the case is because the, the nature of like artificial light has an effect on mood and has an effect on like the way that people relate to spaces and it is of course also one of the hardest things to reproduce so the idea that you have the power to do almost anything this would be like the one thing that in terms of like your day-to-day -day consumption would probably be beyond even the most extremely wealthy person is like to me the thing that you know, I feel like was so relevant about it but also like obviously this is a thought that's occurred to them because this happened I guess like somebody was telling me that this literally happened he was like a flunky in one of their offices for a while or in their bunker rather for a while yeah in the bunker in your story at the dinner party they're dealing with 3d printed food yeah um you know they'll like have the high-end version but yeah swordfish yeah exactly because, like, I don't imagine there would be any swordfish by the time the story takes place. <laughs> but wait, I, I didn't really get it. How is this 3D printed food project central to the plan for establishing a moon base once Singularity hits? I mean, because you can't raise animals on, on the moon. You know, there's no atmosphere. So you would basically just have this 3D printed stock of, you know, whatever kind of food you wanted that you would print on Earth or in the tunnels underneath the Earth. And then, you know, you would would move it. So, I mean, that, getting back to Bezos, he's talking about, you know, we're going to put heavy industry in outer space. And that's why this project was so useful that I did yesterday where I flew up in my dick spaceship and looked around, uh, you know, five inches above the, the Carmen line and came back down. Like he was like, yeah, that was because like, I want to put all heavy industry into space. And, you know, the cost of that would be unimaginable because he's like, let's leave the earth a pristine jewel and put all the heavy industry into space. I mean, that's kind of the thinking. But yeah, basically, like, you would do all this stuff on, like, external sites, say, you know, space station, if it's lighter stuff, or maybe uh, if you needed, like, physical geography, some version of terraformed uh, moon or, or Mars, and, you know, you could conduct all that stuff there, but you'd still need workers to exploit, so you'd basically send up their slurry as, like, this 3D printed stuff from, you know, whatever, whatever lab that probably the company would operate and charge them for it as well. Um, but yeah, but that would be, that was kind of the, 
the premise of it is like you have a kind of like a cargo ship go up every say six months or so or a year probably with 3d printed food that then would be distributed in these like colonized biodomes on other planets wouldn't you just print the food up there i mean you could do that i think that would probably be one of those things where it would be like there'd be a latency problem maybe um but maybe not it would depend i mean i hadn't really thought of it in those terms but um but i guess i thought of it as a you know ship up stuff at the same time because i'm thinking of container ships as my reference uh, i don't know maybe those container ships should just hold the people who get a free trip to uh to mars so that they can uh they can pay off with their their labor in the 3d printing factory there's a lot of possibilities in there um, yeah. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule any of them out get off earth yeah i mean that, that's uh, where people are at now and it's like please go as long as you don't come back please well now that bookstores are pretty much annihilated and yeah the ocean's on fire i mean what's there to stick around for <laughs> i mean that is the premise i mean like for me the thing is like uh you know everything's just this marie antoinette reality like her little farm everything is the marie antoinette farm the fact there are any bookstores at all is just there they exist at the sufferance of amazon and uh you know i mean increasingly that's going to expand to every aspect of human life the more structural penetration the eight or nine billionaires who are we've decided to outsource every aspect of human experience to more more is concentrated in their hands you know they're putting food on our tables quite the opposite like uh keeping food off the tables of most people but, but what's it gonna take to get to the point where it's like all right off with this head off with their heads this guy's. I mean, the problem really is that if you know people were to do the whole French Revolution stuff, it's like there's another guy who will step into that role. Like you know, that was the anarchist of the late 19th century. They, you know, they talked about the propaganda of the deed, where basically like you'd go kill some industrialist, and and that would immediately cause some worker uprising or what everybody would be. I mean, there's a good book. I think it's a guy called Alex Butterworth, "The World That Never Was" or something like that is its title. And it's you know, and I, I mean, when I read it at the time. I was like, uh, I was like, what was wrong with all these anarchists and you know how crazy you know that they had you know these rather extreme ideas that you'd assassinate somebody and it was like by the end of reading I was just like, how was everyone on Earth not an anarchist then because the level of exploitation, particularly with regard to the czars, he spends a lot of time talking about czarist Russia, particularly that I was just like, how was anyone not an anarchist or not willing to kill everybody in the upper classes? But it was like. The answer was the one that I kind of came to the book with. It's like, number one, you kill that czar. There's another czar waiting. Number two, the czar or whomever might be an analog of the czar today. They're much more likely to have sympathy than they are to be considered. Um, Who are they going to have sympathy among? Certainly like the czar. Like, you know, okay, well, there, I, it was uh, Empress Elizabeth of Austria was stabbed by an anarchist. And she was like, you know, she's a sympathetic figure late after being stabbed. You know, she was, they you know, talked about how good a mother she was and what a you know nice person she was. Obviously, just the act of killing another person is automatically the burden of proof is on you to explain why you did it in most cases. But I mean, I think there's this natural, I mean, I was listening to the thing about the, um, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was generally a pretty detestable guy in his life. Although, you know, politically, he may have been the best chance Serbia, he was killed by a Serbian nationalist. He would have been maybe the best chance Serbia had for a, an independent or at least autonomous region within the Austro-Hungarian Empire of that time. Anyway, he was not well liked by a lot of the people who worked around him, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But he was shot. Gavrilo Princip shoots him. And, uh, you know, even during the trial of Princip, they read out like the last words of the Archduke who shot him and he started crying. And somebody said to him, you know, why are you doing this? And he's like, I'm not a beast. It's like, you know, 
people think loftily that that would change anything. I don't think it would change anything at all. Structural solutions are what's going to change it. Even if Jeff Bezos had gone up as like a Roman candle to entrepreneurial Valhalla the other day, like even if that had happened, there'd be somebody running Amazon tomorrow. Amazon would still be here. Like, so that's ultimately what you have to think about when you think about these like propaganda of the deed type solutions. They're not really solutions in my mind, at least. I mean, hating them is one thing, but hating them stupidly is, is the worst thing you can do. Yeah, we got to be careful with our time and energy, but come on. I mean, I mean, look, I hate all of these people. They're all appalling, abominable, ruthless barracudas, uh, barnacles, and human on, on the whatever, like whatever fucking leeches on the throat of humanity. Like Matt Taibbi described Golden Sacks, the vampire squid stuck to the face of humanity. Like, that is an accurate characterization, but like, yeah, as I said, if they leave the scene by natural causes or just by retiring, all the stuff's still in place that they've created. And it's about changing the stuff that they've put in place that's the problem. <sighs> yeah, exactly. It's harder. It's much harder. This doesn't give me a big warm feeling of hope. I mean, it's not the most hopeful moment. I mean, <laughs> you know, the ocean's on fire and Jeff Bezos is uh, on your TV. Oh, like, it's work. It's, it's, you know, change doesn't happen on its own. Power doesn't concede anything willingly. <sighs> so I think to take a lesson from the civil rights protesters of the last few years, you know, maybe we're still in the early days of concrete achievements, but the discussion has completely changed in terms of what, you know, Black Lives Matter protesters have accomplished, Me Too protesters have accomplished, what even to an extent Occupy people have accomplished, you know, at least the term the 99% is a comprehensible term that a lot of people, I mean, I think it's inaccurate because it's not even 1%, it's one, one tenth of one hundredth of 1% yeah. that are really the people who are the problem in a way. But, you know, I, I do think that that notion of a mass movement, that's the only thing that's going to change anything. And it, no person can do that alone, and no propaganda of the deed is going to do that alone either. There's a good Adam Curtis quote on this. Yeah, you guys really want a revolution, or you just want the banks to be a bit nicer to you? And it's more the latter. Yeah, like what do people really want? And there are a lot of people who just want the banks to be a little bit nicer, which they need to be. But I don't even think it's the banks that are the issue. It's it's beyond the banks. It's governmental. Whenever I go to America, I listen to a radio program called The Bible Answer Man. And uh, it's like basically people call him up and ask him questions about the Bible. He knows everything about it. But like he frequently answers calls by saying, you know, the real problems are, are Christians because like pagans are just exercising their job description, whereas Christians have a different mission. And it's like, you know, look, banks are just exercising their job description. They're literally, literally doing it. In fact, they're statutorily required in a lot of places to just maximize profits uh, or to lend in ways that, you know, uh, maximize shareholder profits and corporations are under the same pressure as well, uh, banks and corporations as well. But like the point is, you know, the issue is is not what somebody does within a system that allows them to do it. It's, it's the system that allows them to do it. And so banks being nicer, they're never going to do that on their own if there isn't a legal framework within which they have to work. The more recent stuff with regard to tax avoidance, a G7 agreement on tax avoidance, and there's been, you know, kind of some minor movements towards climate justice stuff. But like, you know, those are agreements by the elite for the elite. So a mass movement is the only thing that's going to make either the banks be nicer at best, or maybe or a even revolution and everyone's going to. Be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that is the point is what I'm trying to make is like there are people who only want it to be the banks being nicer. But even that's not going to happen without like major political change and upheaval. Like it's not going to happen because somebody like a nice guy instead of Lloyd Blankfein is running a bank. So what to do while the ocean's burning and uh, Bezos is riding a giant phallic up into space? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, well, I mean, it's the same point that it's always been, really. You know, it's like, get people together. 
find a set of principles around which to uh, advocate. And it really has to be very goal orientated. Like it can't just be like, hey, I want change. It has to be, hey, change this, X, Y, Z. Yeah, I find it's like getting all the more difficult to get any group of people around anything, even just change X, Y, Z, one thing. I I mean, there are all these like internet like viral moments that happen all the time. I mean, the internet's good at bringing people together, but maybe not keeping them together. But nevertheless, I mean, I think it's happening more and more that there are um, like people connecting with each other and, you know, staying together. Maybe that's a little bit more of a question mark, but I do think people coming together happens a lot. Then that's a question of how you keep people together. That's a lot harder. Uh, that's a lot more about building institutions. I mean, COVID's a bad time for it, of course. Atomization created by you know, the need for lockdowns and the need for uh, non-travel. But I don't know. I feel like that's brought people closer together, actually. Maybe. I mean, in, in some ways. I mean, it's a digital atmosphere. I mean, I think people have reconnected, certainly. But you know, for me, it's a question of if they stay connected. From an activist perspective, that is the challenge. So what would an activist at this dinner in your book get up to? An activist wouldn't be there. Like an activist would actually be on the menu. No, yeah. well, okay. An activist has <laughs> like... Watching know, him being tortured. Somehow yeah. snuck in with uh, a scheme I mean, at that point, to carry out among these innovators. By that point, it's we're in such a place as that person doesn't even really exist. Like there's nobody left with a plan because everybody, you know, is too busy. I mean, above ground, they're fighting with each other below ground, you know, the reproducing the society that was above ground. I mean, somebody who turns up there, it's probably just going to be like, yeah, I'm somebody's plus one. Uh, give me some of that 3d printed swordfish. Well, at least it would be uh, ethically sourced. Definitely. I mean, that is the one thing you could say for, I mean, actually I'm quite in favor of 3d printed meat. Um, but that's another, have you tried any? No, I've, I've not tried it, but like, I don't really like meat that much anyway, but like if I were to ever eat meat again, 3D printed meat would be a really good step. It's just, you know, that's where a lot of the money that goes into some of this like, you know, waste innovation could go, but uh, it's not like anybody's priority. I like ghost swag. Oh yeah, yeah. I totally forgot what story that's in. But... Uh, that's also. Oh, there's the producer. Producer in, what is the story title again? Next? Yeah, the next. The next. Well, I mean, everything else has been destroyed. And so the idea is, you know, you're next. It's been a pretty strange few days. We're in a heat wave here. So, yeah, it's like 30 today. That's really hot for London. It's extremely hot for London, yeah. I mean, nowhere near some of the Berlin stuff we were seeing earlier in the year, but 